So when we begin a retreat, using a period of uh, formal practice, uh, making use of the, of the form of it, formality of it, then you set it up with certain determinations, recollections, aspirations. So these, in a way, uh, create the support for the mind, for the work. And there are things you can keep, you can keep going back to when things seem unsteady or undetermined or even just when you're outside retreat, just when you begin, when you sit down at the end of a day or the beginning of a day, certain determinations, recollections. So they, 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 if you like, they establish a kind of uh, groove in the mind, or they cut a kind of pattern in the mind that your mental energies easily run into, rather than run into all the other. Um, patterns. It's just, it is a pattern, it's a convention, it's a condition. And um, the aim of, this, of these conditions, conditioned dhammas, is to take one, to channel one's mind away from the other conditions of uh, worry, agitation, fear, <coughs> jealousy, regret, craving, and so on. <coughs> Things that often spin us around in the world, gain and fame, success, failure, praise, blame, and so forth, the future. Yeah. Our journey really is into the, into the present moment, uh, but uh, most of us need some help with how that's going to happen, how we, how we get there. So these recollections help to, to stem um, what we would normally get confused by or get caught in, and also just as an activity itself, it's a kind of gathering in activity. So it creates a certain exercise for the mind. <coughs> and it's the case that one does need to exercise the mind to, to, to get to relax. So the idea you can relax just by doing nothing um, is, a, is a good idea, but actually what tends to happen is we just relax one set of voluntary compulsions into a set of involuntary compulsions. <laughs> you know, we stop doing things, we just sit back in our worry, in our paranoia, in our sense of inadequacy. And you, you, we just rest into that. So one does need to kind of massage these out of the system <coughs> by some bit of work, careful, sustained massage work. <coughs> Uh, determinations and aspirations, recollections really uh, group around um, counteracting two particular tendencies. One is the becoming tendency, the moving on, the what next, the urgency, the what to get out to, the outreaching, that kind of drawing out, pulling forward, sense, desire, ambition, and so forth, or just plain worry. Um, so something to counteract that. 
and the other the count and the other source of recollections and determinations is the that which counteracts the kind of depressive hanging back withdrawn uh, can't do it uh, senses the which tend towards seeking oblivion what I want to do is get my head under a pillow the vibhava tendencies <coughs> so the first set is there are four um, what I call protective meditations which are uh, using meditation in the broad sense that's something you would repeatedly bring to mind and two of these are to, these are um, Maranusati, recollection of death Buddhanusati, recollection of the Buddha Metta Bhavana, loving kindness Supakamatan um, cultivation of the aspect of the unattractiveness of the, of the body <coughs> So, if you like, two are pro and two are, two are anti, depending what tendencies you're working with. <coughs> so if we just consider the uh, first two, uh, Maranusati, recollection of death or mortality, Buddhanusati, recollection of Buddha, awakening, Awakened. Uh, this is both the historical Buddha and what that word means. You know, wise, awakened, realized, um, opened into into truth. So these, in a way, kind of you know, because almost by that you summarize the path. It's a movement away from death, um, a recognition of the the fallibility the mortality, the endings of things, and uh, that which in, enables us to manage that without just getting frightened and despondent is a sense of, yeah, but there's this also. There's the, the Buddha. There's Buddha. There's Bodhi. And the Buddha is someone who has seen the ending of birth and death, gone to the ending of birth and death, gone to beyond death, the amata, the deathless. <coughs> so death, just to the chance to you know, recollect, which means you bring something to mind, you feel it out, you bring it to mind, you feel it out, and look at the effects, turn it over, really grasp the meaning, the fuller implications, and let the mind sit in it. Uh, death obviously is the uh, what we what we see from the outside being alive is the sense faculties dim cease the, per, the body is unresponsive the body ceases to be regenerative it decays we see that uh, we see this happening we see and we see this happening to others <laughs> so there's a and with that there's a sense of separation pang loss and so forth. <clears throat> When we consider our, our, so with that, and then we consider also this happens to, to this body, uh, and then when you consider this, then, you know, one has a certain way of, of acknowledging the bodily state, its physical appearance and vitalities as, yeah, yeah, it's like, but it is limited. It doesn't, it doesn't get 
bigger and stronger every day. It, uh, after a while, at our age, it's going to be starting. It gets weaker, and uh, there's less energy, mm-hmm. and it starts to deteriorate. And therefore, there's difficulties of health, strength, vigor, and so forth. So, a sense of you know, while there is time, while it's still bearable, while it's still manageable, that kind of incentive. It also reminds us not to be too fussed about the external appearances of our own bodies or that of others. And probably more tellingly, you know, when when we take that in, the sense of everything that we have um, will be parted from. And when you really focus on it, the, the, the ending of the future the ending of the future. So for the mind, you know, when we look at this, consider this in terms of the mind, the ending of the future, the ending of the known, the ending of that which can be managed, uh, has to be managed, um, planned for, constructed, kept going. So this can be a precipitous realization but also there can be a little flash of joy in it (laughs) a sense of oh you know the ending of that the ending of the mind the ending of the holding it all together the ending of the the ending of the future to me this, this is where it really to my mind, this connects to, to the Buddha Nusati because in the ending of the future is the ending of time. With the ending of the um, the future is the ending of, of carrying things forward into the future, the ending of the storing up habits the lingering, the uh, storing up of memories, the accumulation of information, because this might be necessary in the future. What if that could all just be, we didn't have to do that? (laughs) Um, What would that be like? So one can see on a, on a fairly obvious level, on a subtler level, that recollection when you, you take it in and you take it into body and into attitudes and into the way our mind, our psychology works. You can see there's definitely a, a channeling away from the temporal, sense-bound world, which... Um, we get excited by and worried about and have to hold together into something that can't be held together. And when you bring that into the mind, then certainly for me, but probably for all of you and a certain proportion of people, 
there is a, a sense of, of um, revealing or interest or an opening, What's it, what would it like when the mind is free from the future, free from holding and carrying, free from the need to, to be something? And I think, oh, that sounds rather good. Relief. So it is to, uh, when you just touch into that, it's just to give one a sense of this, this, this all these uh, Buddhist aspirations towards ending and ceasing and things of this nature are towards the ending of that which is stressful. So certainly when we, we cultivate and we bring up that recollection, then it helps us to uh, contemplate, find balance with that in us which wishes to progress, in, you know, get better, um, develop something, just to get some perspective on that. This is where the karma, karma comes in. Karma is that which always inclines towards another state. Better, worse, either driven or directed. It's the volitional push out of the present towards some other state. And uh, there is an ending of karma. There's an ending of that particular energy, a stopping of that particular energy. And this is synonymous with the ending of stress. Uh, the path is is necessary because uh, these things don't end without some sense of uh, direction, some kind of activity. As I said, you you you, you just don't stop. You stop voluntary activities, but the involuntary ones are much more difficult. You have to do some work. But the work and the becoming of meditation, the developments of meditation, the progressive states in meditation are there in order to bring around the uh, disbanding of states. The Buddha's enlightenment, his, his expression was, my mind has gone to dissolution. The breaking up is where my mind has gone to. This is this kind of uh, moment of awakening. Mm. 
that kind of sense. It's now it's disbanded. <coughs> so there's never any talk of an unconditioned mind or an awakened mind. There's talk of unconditioned and awakening, but it's never there's never a mind that's experiencing it. <coughs> And yet there is Buddha, Sambodhi, Gnosis, Awakening. In the um, Dhamma Chakra Suttas, synonyms that are used for this are Vidya, Chakum, Panya, Jnana, Aloka. Seeing, clarity, uh, knowing, discernment or wisdom and light, Aloka, light, sense of that. These are the synonyms that are used. So we might say these are uh, uh, with the endings, with the realizations, there is the presence of, if you can call it presence, there is this. In one of the suttas it talks about in the Sangyutta Nikaya there's a mention of with the uh, cessation of Nama Rupa there is the going down of the mind. The words Nama Rupa means name and form. So form is any, any particular object, a visual form, a tactile form, even a mental form such as a thought something that stands as an object. Nama is the activity of defining it, the impressions it creates, um, the energies it stimulates. So it's basically attention, contact, and volition. This is Nama. And the perception, sanya, and feeling. So with the, the stopping of these, there is the going down of the mind. So the nama is all the uh, resonances that occur, the formulation, the, the, both the seeking of that, the formulating, um, the lingering in, the being motivated by, um, and so forth, the, the, the objects of mind, thoughts, memories, and so forth. So it's the, with the, sometimes it's called even the breaking up of this, stopping of this, ceasing of this, resting of this, is the going down of the mind. The words are for stopping is niroda, and the going down is atagamo. Notice whatever these may mean, these are just tentative translations, you can recognize they're not the same. Obviously, niroda, atagamo. And atagamo is sometimes used for the sun. The sun sets, it doesn't actually blow up, <laughs> it just it, it sets. 
so it's not a destruction we're talking about, but a kind of a, a setting or a sunset of all that construction. Uh, because, uh, of course, uh, what is uh, obviously, obviously true is that the sun rises uh, as well as sets. So, you know, the mind can come up again, re-arises, uh, but perhaps purified of its compulsions, of its confusion. So you have a functioning mind with volition, intention, perceptions, but they're no longer uh, bound because we've, we've known all this is just ephemeral. You know, you can use it, but you don't get stuck in it. So <coughs> someone like historical Buddha clearly, obviously had a very um, good functioning intellectual faculty, certain determinations, ability, not brain dead, but the the um, skill to also allow that to rest. So some of this uh, is to do nama rupa. That is to do with the whole issues of old karma. That is habits, habitual improvement habitual memories, short-term memories, associations, felt meanings, prejudices, biases. Um, This is sanya. The way we see something through a secondary filter. We don't see something as it is. We see something with a memory of what it reminds us of, which is as its uses. And as we, we kind of fashion the sanya, the memory of what something reminds us of becomes very highly detailed. You know exactly how a car works, or you know someone's name, or their habits, or their uh, inclinations, or this. But um, this is always secondary, isn't it, to the immediate thing? And it can become the case that you no longer really see or recognize the the here and now experience because one has so much sanya of it that it's already loaded with more than just memory but also um, psychological reactions. We know how to switch off or shut down or or um, something gets compulsive in our reactions. <coughs> so this is to be, um, bring this to, if this is this habitual stuff can stop, we might actually have the opportunity to see things fresh. So, the ending of the constructed, the the configured, the prepared, the remembered, the driven, is the awakening of the presence of vidya, clarity, chakung, seeing, jnanang, knowing, panya, wisdom, aloka, light.
the other two recollections metta bhavana quality of of goodwill (coughs) helps to cause the declining of ill will So um, the Buddha talked about this as a vehicle for liberation. He encouraged us to thoroughly get it going, thoroughly get it going. You know. And uh, we we may uh, be rather brief about this. You know, well, it, you know, it means don't hate anybody. But <clears throat> I would say it's uh, a lot more than that. Otherwise, it wouldn't have been so. Um, often referred to and uh, encouraged. Anybody recognise we shouldn't hate each other. But there's also mistrust. There's also fear. There's also worry and comparisons. Um, There's also feelings of inadequacy and worthlessness and belittling. There's also scorn. There's also contempt. There's also derision. There's also mild forms of this, socially accepted forms of this, ways in which we grow accustomed to putting down. Sometimes it's even a cultural habit. You know, it's a kind of a, a way sometimes of, of even signifying intimacy by, the, by the, the willingness to be put down or the, the okayness of it, you know. So there can be joking and stuff of this nature. Uh, and yeah, you know, if that's what it's about. But just to be aware of, um, you know, things that maybe not be that conscious, the, the, the way we, say, regard ourselves. Perhaps emphasizing the faults and not overlooking, and not overlooking the virtues. Lingering in the, the negative and not acknowledging the positive. Um, not really being okay with ourselves as we are. So the metta is towards others as to myself, to myself as towards others. It's not so much a, an intensity or heightening of emotion so much as a deepening penetration of the whole way in which we generate images and impressions. The um, comparative. So often we, we make, make, we generate impressions upon a person's what? We might think, you know, their efficiency, their intellectual prowess, their, um, yeah, you know, behavioral things. Or, or things that actually are bound to be different. It's like saying, "Tall people, taller you are, the better you are." You know, <laughs> it's that you know, um, <coughs> or or whatever.
And the, the so the metta bhavana is just about really recognizing what does one, uh, you know, where, what, where's the level, where's the leveling, or where's the absence of it? Where can we set, have a sense of it's all the equal, all the same? Yeah. Where it's for the um, slow and the fast, as well. When it's for the weak or the strong, as the Buddha calls it, the near or the far. Those one knows closely, those one doesn't know very well. Those one sees as functions or accessories, and those one sees as kind of key players in one's life. You know, the milkman, the tax collector, you know, your beloved friends, your teachers, and so forth. You, you kind of have the same sense of of that right across the whole thing. <clears throat> Learning to appreciate and to oneself. So this is a, you know, a skill and essentially the bottom line of it is the non-aversion and the non-indifference. Uh, Where it's just, oh, so and so, it doesn't matter. We're not looking to get a particular rapturous emotion going, but just the, a sense of to others as to myself. So this person also exists. They also have karma. They also have, you know, humor and sadness and so forth. Just bringing that quality into life and may they be well. Don't have to like them even. You know, it doesn't do me any harm to, to say, well, good luck, you know, may you be well. But I actually agree with you, I like you or not. So it's, it's for the freedom of the heart from this uh, tension. Because the more we are, it's always the case that, the, that you can't ever be critical towards another person without operating the same mechanism towards yourself. It is not possible. So, the, you know, it goes hand in hand. The more fine-tuned and one, limited one's tolerances are for others, it certainly it operates the same for yourself because it's the same set of criteria are being placed. Are you strong? Are you bright? Are you smart? Are you quick? Are you, can you do a lot? Can you do a little? Towards only sooner or later you point that towards yourself and of course, you know, it's the same, the same kind of judge. So you set up the tyrant. And also when you cultivate metta bhavana, sometimes you, you, it's possible to recognize why, why we do set up a tyrant, why we want to be the best and the brightest or the so forth, so we can get some feeling of feeling good about ourselves. You know, so but if so we just started feeling good about ourselves in the first place, or work from that, then you know you can have a more realistic way of moving <coughs> forwards. And this is also the case in meditation. Yeah, you know, it's not good to be hindrances and falling asleep or you know getting caught up. But at the same time, just being negative towards yourself is not going to make it any any not going to be any help. Often one does need some lifting up out of that, out of these compulsions, out of these habits.
mistrust is such a, uh, a, a certain sense of occludedness. It's so common because a lot of the time we are outside of familial, loosely speaking, contact. Otherwise, you know, direct contact with people who you operate with and can converse with and dialogue with and get some sense of, of common, common ground with. So in the public domain, you're often moving through lots and lots of people and things that actually are not there for you, not interested in you, actually, you know. So most people naturally would tend to then just shield, uh, shield, withdraw, shield, because it's just, everything is just abrasive. Some of it's directly manipulative. A lot of it's directly manipulative. So you just kind of close in. And uh, depending on your own history, it can be extremely closed in. Mistrust. It's not a forgiving universe. You know? This is a tough world. And uh, yeah, it, I can really resonate with that. But the idea is when we're in retreat, or when we're here, we can leave that out. You know? you know, it's something you know how to close when you need to close, but now you know how to open and to, to, to have a sense of can I just venture with some trust and some goodwill towards others, towards myself? It's really important to get that uh, quality when you sit. Just noticing, you know, even how your body feels. That feeling your sense of your skin, your body, your boundaries, what's around me is really okay. What's right in front of me is really okay. There's nothing going to come at me, nothing jabbing. I can just really let the chest be open, let the front of the body feel relaxed and open. Let the back be free, let the shoulders not be tensed, let the face be free. And then if you do that, your body sits and your breathing becomes much more steady because there isn't that slightly on guard sense about it. This is, I think this is very important as a preliminary meditation, something you may want to develop purely by itself. So actually this does... Um, fit in with the aims of a supakamatan, which is that in us which wants to um, reach out with passion towards surfaces, towards or passion or excitement. Find the qualities of suffusive trust and well-being more satisfying than the, the, the fire and the flash of sexuality or the uh, glow of vanity towards oneself or towards others.
So when you cultivate in this way, there's a certain amount of volition required, a certain amount of inclining required. But the aim of it is towards the ending of unskillful or pointless or frustrating volition. So that's the first level of stopping. This is the stopping of that which is unskillful or frustrating or directly stressful. And as you, when one begins to, uh, or that these, uh, the results of this, you can see the mind does begin to rest, and some of the constructions, and some of the attitudes, and some of the pathologies, and some of the habitual stuff begins to stop. Then one can find oneself. Just attending. So with the going down of the mind, the sunset of the mind, the arising of clarity, arising of a light which is not worldly light. <clears throat>